This is the Physical Activity Researcher Podcast, a podcast for researchers of sedentary behavior, physical activity, and sports. Join for a relaxed dialogue about research design, practicalities, and, well, anything related to research. Learn from your fellow researchers useful and relevant information that does not fit into formal content and limited space of scientific publications. And here is your host, researcher and entrepreneur, Oli Tikkanen. Welcome, everyone. In this episode, we are going to talk about measurement of sedentary behavior and physical activity in children, activity levels and mental health of boys and girls during lockdown, how to do large-scale study completely remote, and other interesting and relevant topics. And we have a great guest for today's episode. Our guest has completed her PhD in Liverpool John Moss University, and is currently working in Swansea University. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome our guest, Dr. Liesl Herter. Welcome, Liesl. Thank you. Thanks, Oli. Thanks for having me. I really appreciate being on. And yeah, I feel quite honored to be <laughs> included in your podcast. No, it's it's really nice to have you. It's my honor. So would you like to introduce yourself in the in the beginning? Yeah, sure, of course. Um, so I grew up in South Africa and I did my my undergraduate studies and my master's degree at Stellenbosch University uh, before I worked for a couple of years at the University of the Western Cape where I taught and uh, just very general uh, sports science related modules before we started our own our family and I took an extended uh, career break at the time to raise our small children before in then in 2016 uh, we moved to the UK as you said to Liverpool so that I could do my my PhD there um, this was now of course me myself um, my husband and our four children so I did my PhD under Dr. Lynn Body, um, uh, and the focus was on uh, measuring children's sedentary behaviors as accurately as possible. And yes, I finished that just just before that first national lockdown that we had in the UK um, in March last year. And now I'm currently at Swansea University, as you said, uh, doing a postdoc, even though I am based in Kent. So I'm, I don't live in Wales, but I'm, I'm, I'm working for Swansea Uni. Yeah. So that's, yeah. that's basically me. Yeah. Yeah, that's a good story. And having four children, that's probably <laughs> quite a lot of experience of children. And now you're doing research with them. Yeah, I'm really grateful that my career path has ended or has, you know, evolved this way that I did my PhD while I actually already had my children, because I think, yeah, that just, I understood the the age group really well, because my eldest was the same age group as my participants during my PhD study. So I'm grateful for that. But yeah, it comes with added challenges. <laughs> yeah, I can see that. Yeah. So, so what kind of project you are you're working on at the moment? Yes, it's a really exciting study. I should perhaps first mention this was um, uh, first funded by the Welsh government for, you know, the the um, uh, intended time of six months that we thought the project would would take. But of course, these things don't always work out like like you plan, um, and it's become much bigger and and it's taken much longer than anticipated. So. 
after the six-month funding period expired, the funding and support was taken over by WIPIS, the Welsh Institute of Physical Activity, Health and Sport. So my study now falls under under their remit. Um, and it's basically the aim of the study is to determine the, the effects of the COVID-19 lockdowns um, on children's physical activity, but also their mental health and well-being. So with that in mind, of course, it was during lockdown, so it had to be a completely remote study because everyone was confined to their homes, you know, researchers as well. So I recruited um, via sending emails to all schools in Wales, asking them to send the study information to their parent base, because of course, with children, you need parental consent. You can't be just an anonymous survey. So the schools sent, or not all schools, but some schools sent the, the information on and parents completed a quick consent form, giving me things like, you know, date of birth, um, uh, uh, postcodes, postal addresses, and very importantly, an email address. So then I sent individualized links to all those email addresses, 4,500 of them, so that children could complete an online survey. And this survey was um, it included three different uh, questionnaires, validated questionnaires, one for physical activity, the PAC-C, that's physical activity questionnaire for children for primary school, and the PAC-A, adolescents for secondary school children, but also Sterling Wellbeing Scale and the Good Childhood Index. Those two give us um, a, a score for well-being and a score for life satisfaction. So that was during the January lockdown and children completed that at around, what, what was it, 1,700 children completed it. And then I chose a randomized subsample um, of 800 of those stratified by age, sex and socioeconomic status to wear activity accelerometers on their non-dominant wrist for seven days. And I posted those to them after seven days of wearing them they posted it back to me, um, and that was basically the first time point. And then we did a second time point during or just after the Easter break when all the children were back in school. So we have that comparison. I, I, I don't know of another study that was you know, that used accelerometry to this large scale, you know, um, during the lockdown. I think that was the 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 most difficult part to to plan this all around being in lockdown and being remotely. Yeah, so at the moment, we already have two different time points. And um, yeah, it's still it's still continuing. <laughs> so that's it in a, in a nutshell, quickly. Yeah, yeah, very, very interesting. Did I understood right that you didn't plan to collect the data from the lockdown, but it's just started at the time, so you ended up collecting it? Um, no, the, the, the idea was to, to, well, the idea was to, monitor children throughout the different stages of the pandemic you know all and, right um, and yes the study started at a time when there was no lockdown um so no we yes probably you're right we didn't really plan that it would be in lockdown but when data collection time came a lockdown was announced and um you know this was the third national lockdown that was in january I mean, the, the previous ones was um 
last year. So in a sense, I was grateful, you know, for obviously not grateful for the pandemic worsening and everything, but, you know, that we were able to collect that data during during lockdown. Yeah. So so then the next one, the next time point was, you know, during school, children were back in school, but there were still some restrictions. So children will most likely have been in class bubbles, you know, and things like your um, break times would have been staggered maybe in a sh- it depends on the schools but maybe in a shorter um, I mean in a smaller um, setting for for break times to to take place in um, things like that was still a bit different for the next time point it would pretty much be back to normal because we don't have any of those restrictions anymore um, in the UK at the moment despite cases going up but um, yeah that's that's where we're at yeah, sounds like a really interesting data set. I think a unique data set, which, which will probably give us very nice information. So have you already analyzed the data or are you just in the collection? Yes, so I've analyzed the data from the first two time points, or at least some of the data. I've analyzed the accelerometer results with, um, I've briefly looked at the mental health and well-being aspects. I've not looked at the um uh, the physical activity questionnaire, those results, not just yet. But we also had something like during the first two data sets, we had, I had a, an open-ended question um, around how does lockdown make you feel and why do you feel this way? And then again, you know, once they were back in school, how do you feel about being back in school and why do you feel this way? So I have a qualitative expert that is um, currently analyzing that part of the of the data set for me because it's definitely not my comfort zone um, so yeah we have two papers in the in the process of almost ready for submission one accelerometry and one the mental health and well-being yeah and how, how was the mental health I think it's a very interesting topic yes um, so it's difficult for me to say compared to prior to the pandemic because I you know, again, this isn't really my field. I'm new to it, um, but I can definitely say that all the mental health and well-being indicators significantly improved once children went back into school. Um, so I think it's safe to assume that the lockdown had a negative effect on their on their mental health and well-being. Um, also, interestingly, boys. At significantly higher mental health and well-being scores, you know the the well-being score, the life satisfaction score, um, positive outlook, positive emotional state, things like that, were consistently higher for boys than for girls. And the other thing that was quite sad for me to see is you see a very very definite decline in ma- mental health and well-being indicators as children age. So with your 16 to 18-year-olds scoring the lowest, both during lockdown and um, and during school time. Um, so yeah, it's, it's, it's really interesting and I'm looking forward to, to monitoring this, you know, in the future um, and continuing the study and see how the trends, how, you know, if it, if it changes over, over time more so than it already has. Yeah, and and you have interesting data because you have the sedentary behavior and physical activity, and then the lockdown have made kind of taken away the social parts of life. So you can probably see that 
how is the social versus sedentary behavior affecting the mental health? Yeah, yeah. And the um sure the the sedentary behavior from the accelerometers were also quite sobering the results. Um uh, I think the the mean across the whole uh the whole sample of 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 um of those included in the in the final analysis was 850 minutes per day, which is what 16 hours. This is a very, very long time. And of course, I mean, this is according to a cut point or threshold, raw acceleration threshold. So we know that it isn't likely to overestimate sedentary time because you know that accelerometer isn't even analyzing it that way. We're unable to distinguish between postures. So it's probably including some time spent standing still. Um, but even so, I feel even so, even if it is an, an overestimation, it is still, you know, very, very high. Even if we take away two hours, you know, that is still very, very high. So so that is a concern. Um, as soon as children went back to school, we immediately see that dropping by 90 minutes on average per day. Um, but no noticeable differences between boys and girls' sedentary time. A really, really interesting finding for me was the boys and girls, you know, typically we see boys being more active than girls, reaching, you know, higher levels of, of, of moderate to vigorous physical activity. But the MVPA during lockdown was, there was no difference between boys and girls. And I guess we could say then that boys were more affected by the lockdown because you know their their obviously their physical activity levels dropped more so than girls probably because of the lack of sport participation we know boys tend to you know um, participate in sports more than girls but an interesting finding for me also was despite this lack of 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 maybe I should say this first as soon as they went back to school boys' MVPA increased by double the amount compared to girls. Um, so immediately they recovered that lost, um, you know, time spent in, in MVPA more so than girls. But despite that lack of difference in MVPA, I mean, you know, this is again, MVPA, it's a cut point and we desperately want to try and move away from using cut points. Um, so, so I've also analyzed the data and looking at things like the intensity gradient, average acceleration, and the MX variables. And um, so no difference between MVPA boys and girls during lockdown. However, boys still had significantly higher intensity gradients. So in other words, a, a more favorable intensity profile compared to girls. And at first I was intrigued by that. But when I looked at those MX variables, in other words, you know, the that variables where we where we look at the most active five minutes, most active ten minutes of the day, and the value of, for example, MX or M30 would be the minimum uh, acceleration intensity of the most active thirty minutes. So when I looked at those for the for the lower MX variables, so the the the, the most active five minutes, fifteen minutes, thirty minutes of the day, boys at significantly higher or they reached significantly higher intensity um, uh, acceleration intensities and that is what what 
makes their intensity gradient, you know, significantly higher than girls. So that was really interesting. Despite them being at home, I don't, I wouldn't know whether, you know, those accelerations were achieved in the typical, you know, we were allowed to go out for exercise typically once a day by the time that we, by the time that this data um, collection took place, it was unlimited exercise. So, but I don't know, you know, we won't know how many times they, they did go out for exercise. Typically, I think, um, you know, for the younger age groups, they still had to go with parents. So, um, yeah, it's, it's, it's a really interesting data set. And I think there's going to come a lot more. We're going to get a lot more out of it. Um, also, the same with, with boys and girls. I see the same difference in... Um, in the age group, so as children age, the um, you know those those lower MX variables, there's that's where the difference lies. So, so for your primary school children, they reach much higher intensities, and that goes down and down as they age. Um, I was quite uh, quite or oh, what's the word, sad to see, distraught to see, I don't know, concerned. Concer I was concerned to see the the um, MX values of, of upper secondary school girls because it was so low. Even during school time, they did not reach acceleration intensities equivalent of a brisk walk for 30 minutes of the day. So your MX or your M30 was below 200 milligravity units of acceleration per day during school time, you know. So it's a time when you'd assume there'd be maybe some kind of active traveling to school. There, there would definitely at some point have been an, a PE class or some sport, you know. All of those were allowed during that second time point. But despite that, physical activity levels stayed really, really low. Um, so I think that is an age group that should really be targeted um, if we think intervention-wise. Yes, good points. And, and then I wanted Hello? to ask... Excuse oh. me, could I ask one question before you? Yeah, yeah, sir, please, please go on. Do you work with children in physical activity? Okay, then you should listen to us. We wanted to tell you about this polar bear animation that is so cool. And we understood from his funny explanations why humans and polar bears shouldn't sit all day. Fabian device, it is an accelerator. And I could tell you all the specs. But you just need to know it measures accurately sedentary behavior and physical activity and is scientifically validated. But most importantly, using it feels like magic. Yeah, like magic. Ding dong done. So, Lomo at Fibian.com slash kids. Please click it because it's important that kids all over the world can learn from polar bear. That's so awesome. Mom, can we have a polar bear as a pet? Please, Mom? Mm. 
Yeah, so so a lot of interesting data, 16 hours of sedentary time with the cut points. And yeah, if you sleep eight hours, that's only being sedentary all, whole day. The rest day. of the time, basically, yes. Yeah, and and then there was difference between boys and girls and, and looking at different variables. Uh, what kind of advice you would give for people who are doing project with children that what variables they should look from from this like you you talked about mx uh, intensity gradient what what advice would you give yeah i think um well it all depends on what your what your outcome what your study's aim is really um you know because the the intensity gradient the mx variables they are really good in giving us more information about the whole activity profile but they doesn't they don't tell us anything about sedentary behavior i mean they they basically um well that's maybe yeah not entirely true because i mean if you have a very very low intensity gradient it's likely that you're spending a lot of time sedentary but i'm i'm just thinking you know it doesn't tell us time spent sedentary so it depends on your question um or your research question but it's definitely i would definitely recommend trying to move away from cut points but it is even for me it's difficult to do because we still have the government guidelines you know that talks about moderate to vigorous physical activity so i feel in a sense we need to report that um so that our audience is not only researchers who understands these metrics um yeah but the 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 good thing is with if you if you analyze um, a data set using you know r and ggir you can easily compute all those metrics you know i wasn't saying by the touch of a button you know you 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 can you can easily simultaneously get a lot of data out of there um and then you basically pick and choose what you need to use for your specific research question the the problem always with sedentary time is we need to both have posture and we need to, to 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 have the energy expenditure if we want to you know um uh, measure the behavior according to its definition um and then on top of that you need contextual data as well you know so an accelerometer alone doesn't tell you really everything that you need to know so so it's it's very complex um but i think every study is really is different um Hmm. Yeah, so there's there's many things to consider when you're choosing the assessment method for physical activity and sedentary behavior. How did you choose your method, your device for for this project? Yeah, so we are using activities. Um, so first of all, we needed a wrist-worn monitor. Unfortunately, you know we know we know from previous studies that maybe a thigh-worn monitor would give us better data. But in children, just from um, my experience, also children they don't they don't really like the the thigh worn ones. Compliance is unfortunately much better with the wrist worn. So and also because it's remote, you know, we we couldn't. I mean, I wouldn't have sent blasters and things, you know, for people to <laughs> attach monitors. So um, we needed a small wrist worn device. The activities. Uh, one of the consideration was it's a UK-based company, so um, you know customer service has really been very good. Um, 
I've even had once or twice where I needed monitors, uh, replacement monitors, and you know they sent it next day delivery, which was really convenient. But also, one of the large surveillance studies in the UK, the Biobank study, uses activities, so it's it's easy for us, you know, in, from a data comparison point of view, to to use activities. Another thing is they are much cheaper than than some of the other brands. And um, of course, sending them by post, we knew we were going to lose some monitors and, and we wouldn't want to lose you know, all our funding money in the process. So that was also convenient. So why we chose activities really. Hmm. So basically it was, it came down to wrist one device, price and ability to get raw data, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah the raw data, definitely. Um, and the activities, I mean, they've been shown to be, uh, you know, high, they have high equivalency with with Genie Active raw data. And um, so I was, I was happy with that. Also, the fact that they're nice and small, um, they fit through a letterbox, you know. Um, so so that's just a practical mm. And and how how was the you know children have usually quite small wrists how was the fitting did you have any any experiences on on that yeah one? so typically um, so what I do is I just punch two or three extra holes in the little um, wristband because most of these brands have you know one set or most universities have one set of 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 you know accelerometers. Um, and that's what they have. That's what you have to use. So I always, I bought a hole puncher. Um, but I, I think for some of them, the activities, it's all kind of like a, um, a rubber or um, a band. Yeah. So you can just use a very sharp knife and put two or three extra holes in there. But unfortunately for the younger age groups, I still have uh, parents telling me that, sorry, it's just too bulky. He was distracted by it, couldn't sleep with it. So there are some children, you know, the smaller ones, where um, even activities that are quite small, um, it's it is still a bulky, um, you know, device to wear for some children. Yeah, yeah, that's that's good feedback. We are actually designing for our our device mm-hmm. uh, wrist wrist uh, strap, and mm-hmm. would be nice to hear your opinions. If you if you could design it freely, how how would be the material, color, size? Uh, what what how how would you make make a wrist strap? Yeah, um, the thing is, you know, as what I found in in during my my PhD research, children enjoyed the actigraphs more because they have the actual they show the actual time on there. You know, the activities don't do that, which is obviously why they can make them much cheaper. Um, color wise oh my goodness yeah I, I want to say the black is a little bit um, boring I would try to, to do different colors but um, or at least I'm, I'm I like blue I would always go with blue but that's that's just me um, uh, I'm trying to think um, uh, in general I haven't had I haven't really had a lot of parents saying that um, you know the these activities are what is this basically a silicon wristband I've had some that say that um, you know they've developed a rash but I had those with actigraphs as well I have had those with with genie actives I think 
I think any child with a sensitive skin, I don't, I think any type of material would probably cause that, even though, I mean, even with the, with the tegaderm, you know, those um, uh, plasters that we used for active bell, they are hypoallergenic, what's the word, you know, anti-allergy. And even for those, we find that people do develop rash sometimes. So, um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So you would make it a little bit more colorful, as small as possible for kids. And yeah, the material for some people with sensitive skin, it doesn't really make difference. It's, I it's don't challenging. Think so. Yeah. Yeah. I think people with sensitive skin is likely, will not likely wear a watch you know, a normal watch as well. I was like that growing up. I could never wear a watch because my my skin would just become irritated. Um, and I tried different watches throughout my childhood. It never worked. Um, so, yeah. yeah, strangely, I seem to have grown out of that. <laughs> I don't have a problem <laughs> with it anymore. Yeah. And and what kind of advice? You ended up using the wrist-worn devices. In which kind of situations you would go for the thigh-worn or for the waist-worn? What would you keep yeah, I think, criteria? Yeah, yeah I think for, for, you know, your smaller smaller studies, almost like calibration type or, or um, laboratory type, type of studies where there's a sh- short amount of period that they have to wear it, in those cases, I think it'd be okay to wear um, to wear something on the thigh that is seems stuck on by a plaster. I've used Active Bell for only two days, and compliance was was okay. I only lost two or three. Um, it was a very small sample, of course. Um, but yeah, if you want to really, really capture sedentary behavior, mind you, I want to say you know because we need that posture difference. You would think that a thigh-worn monitor would be more accurate, but also with children, and I saw this during during my PhD studies with children. Even the active bell sometimes got it wrong because children's postures aren't straightforward like like adults. You know, um, there's crawling. There's you know, I, I watch my children sit on the couch in front of the TV, no one is sitting, you know, like we do with our legs, you know, d- d- on the ground, I mean, feet on the ground, legs, you know, in a vertical position. I've, I've recently started photographing my youngest whilst reading because he would take a book and he would read on the couch, but his legs are up in the air, you know, or, mm, yeah. or it's just... Is really difficult to to get that right. I don't know what the what the inclinometer does with that. Um, you know, w- what is he doing if it's literally upside down? It you would think he's <laughs> on a he's doing a handstand. <laughs> yeah, that's that's an interesting point. Yeah, and and children with with their movement, with their sedentary behavior, they they behave differently. So probably we would need need like more validation studies in real life home environments where they actually sit on the sofa upside down because if you do it in the lab they probably yeah. don't do it yeah no exactly yeah That's yeah exactly. so so if if we move to your data collection that you were able to collect data remotely fully remotely what what kind of experiences and learnings you could share yeah goodness me the thing is Everything was new to me. I have never before done a large surveillance study like this, definitely not remotely. So I think 
well, for starters, I didn't realize, you know, what the mammoth task that is sending 800 accelerometers from my living room, exactly what that entails, you know. But once I did it, you know, and, and, and got through the logistics of it, it's, it's pretty straightforward. You just have to plan really, really well. I think the biggest challenge was that lack of face-to-face contact with people. And it's not perhaps, it wasn't, it didn't seem like a challenge at the time, but it kind of snowballed into many other, you know, areas. For example, if you think, typically we would go into schools and that means that the school would have bought into the project, the teachers would know about it, the school um, would be, you know, they would, they won't, confiscate the monitors we've had one child apparently the school confiscated the monitor and then it lost the monitor you know so and again I'm not blaming the schools for this because they weren't really part of the study yes they sent the information to the parents right in the beginning six months earlier you know there's no way that that message got through to the teachers who asked children to remove the monitor because it's now PE time you know so which is really unfortunate and frustrating because we lose valuable data but um if we had face-to-face contact, you know, teachers would know what this is about, and they and they perhaps would not, um, you know, add add to to the compliance issue that we already have. I think also face-to-face contact with the children, because I mean, we knew we were going to lose some monitors either in the post or with people not sending them back or losing them or anything. But if you have that face-to-face contact, and you know there's a face to my name and children know they should bring it back on that day, then I think we wouldn't have lost so many monitors. Um, again, I don't blame the parents. You know, we're living, we're in the middle of a pandemic and, and, and I've had many accounts of parents telling me, oh, you know, once I've emailed again, asking for the thing, saying that, you know, they've had uh, lost, uh, they've lost a loved one. And they've dealt with that. And of course, the last thing you want to worry about is sending that odd activity monitor back and where is the thing and where is the return envelope. So so I think that was the biggest challenge, just a lack of, of the face-to-face contact that I don't think we appreciated or knew the value of beforehand. Um, yeah. Thanks for joining us this week on Physical Activity Research Podcast. If you like the show, make sure you never miss an episode by subscribing or following the show on Twitter. This podcast is made possible by listeners like you. Thank you for your support. If you found value in the show, we would really appreciate a rating on Apple Podcast or whichever app you're using. Or if you would, in a real old school way, simply tell a friend about the show. It would be a great help for us. We have a fantastic lineup of guests for forthcoming episodes, so be sure to tune in. Thank you all for your support and have a great day.